You are now listening to the Firehouse Chronicles with Matt and Katie Spinks, a revelatory nuggets episode. Find a comfortable spot where you can revel and bask in the tangible living presence of Jesus Christ in you. You can find more of these Firehouse Chronicles episodes, info on our ministry events, and all of our other resources at thefirehouseprojects.com. But for now, open your beautiful new creation heart and let the truth of His good news wash over you in fresh wave after wave as we join together in a spirit of revelation from Abba, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Hey, what's up, guys? We are back with uh, part five of our Tough Scriptures series and our uh, revelatory nuggets in the Firehouse Chronicles. Uh, Matt Spinks here. We are live on Facebook. This will also be on our podcast and on our YouTube channel. Um, You can just look us up on all the different platforms. Look up Matt and Katie Spinks. Look up the Firehouse Projects. But we are going to be diving into a little Bible study here uh, this evening. And uh, we've been going through different scriptures that seem to be challenging to the message that we're preaching these days, Um, which by these days, I mean the eternal gospel. I mean the finished work, the goodness of God, uh, the whack. Um, And tonight, particularly, we're going to be going into uh, the message of inclusion, which has a lot to do with the goodness of God. Um, Is everybody included in God's love? Is everybody saved? Is everybody included in Christ. So we're going to do a little Bible study. Now tonight, um, this is actually geared toward people that are already kind of in the message, that you're already into, you already believe in inclusion in a way. <clears throat> this is a, a part of our tough scripture series. So what we're doing is going through scriptures that seem to contradict at surface level or that people may have, uh, you know, thrown at you and kind of gotten you in a little bit of confusion or whatever it may be. And so we're going to go into some of the tough scriptures regarding inclusion, regarding regarding the salvation of all um, and the goodness of God in that regard. And so grab a Bible if you have some time um, or if you don't have time now, just remember to come back and watch it later when you can look at some of these scriptures. Uh, because something that you may have been discovering if you've watched any of the previous tough scriptures series here is that context is key. And that, in fact, a lot of these scriptures that seem to contradict the finished work, uh, the gospel, the whack, um, or even tonight, inclusion, as we're going to be going into, when you just look at them in context, uh, you see they make so much more sense. And so we're going to do a little Bible study. We're going to get in context. If you have a Bible, grab that, and it'll be a little bit of a conversation. These go usually around 30 to 40 minutes or so. And uh, yeah, so... I'm just so glad tonight, just, you know, as I was studying and preparing for this, uh, I'm just so glad uh, and and encouraged that my lens has flipped over the last few years, that my my view of the goodness of God has changed so much, and uh, that I see our Father as so much better, so much bigger. Uh, The scope of salvation in Christ is so much bigger than I saw it before. And isn't that so just liberating and life-giving. I mean, how many of you have experienced that? I'm sure uh, you wouldn't have even tuned into a video like this if you hadn't already been kind of somewhere on that goodness of God spectrum, leaning toward that tipping point of just eternal goodness, uh, the kindness of God. And uh, so I'm just so thankful for the grace of God and and um, 
So as we look at these scriptures, you know, I have no desire to just debate or to argue endlessly, but I really believe, guys, that we see, you know, there's so many people out there struggling with the concept uh, the concept of a good God. They're struggling with being intimate with Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit because they have these wrong ideas based on some of these um, misinterpreted scriptures. And so it means something to me to look at these tonight. And so I hope it's helpful for you as well. Um, but just to say it's it's unto just such a liberated experience in love. And when we know that God has included everyone and loves everyone unconditionally, we're empowered to do the same. So um, what do we mean by inclusion? Um, <clears throat> what I mean is that all people were saved in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that all people will wake up to it one day. Now, I know there's a lot of different definitions of inclusion. There's even books about it. Um, it's become a real popular term, and for good reason. Um, we, if God is truly love and unconditional love, then that should mean something in what salvation is applied to. And so um, I just wanted to define it, though, a little bit getting into the video. I mean that all people were saved in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that all people will wake up to it one day. Um, now, we're going to go into the tough scriptures, but I believe it based on scriptures like 1 Corinthians 15, 22, um, Romans 5, 18, 1 Timothy 4, 10, Romans 11, 25 to 32. That was actually a life changer for me personally. That's what pushed me over the edge. Um, Acts 3, 21, um, and various places all over the Bible where it says that Christ is all in all or that salvation was once and for all. The word all in the Greek, as they often say, means all. <laughs> uh, and so I just throw out some of those scriptures in case you want to go and study the pro-inclusion scriptures. Tonight we're going to be a little bit more debunking this seeming anti-inclusion scriptures. But um, yeah, I believe that God is a God of unconditional love and that all have been saved and that all are waking up to it. And so I, what I believe Holy Spirit is revealing is this, that in Christ, and I'm just going to make my points and then go into the scriptures here, the tough scriptures. But what I believe Holy Spirit is revealing is that in Christ, all creation, all the cosmos, including every person ever is saved, healed, set free, restored, delivered. Hallelujah. Um, I believe that they do need to believe in order to experience this. But it's already true. Jesus is all in all. Salvation was once and for all by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so um, some think that we're preaching universalism. We are not preaching universalism in the sense that all paths are the same or that doesn't matter what you believe or um, that you don't need Jesus, that you don't need to believe in Jesus. Now, some would call this Christian universalism. There's a guy, Robin Perry. I really like some of his stuff. You can look up what he's written. I really recommend him on the topic. And I think he calls himself the evangelical universalist or Christian universalist. I'm fine with that if you kind of qualify it a bit. But um, this is not uh, universalism in the sense that all uh, you don't need to believe in Jesus, that all roads lead to... Christ, although in a sense he travels all roads to find you, and in a sense uh, he believes in you even if you don't believe in him, and his love is given to you whether you love him in return. Isn't that what unconditional love is all about? 
Um, it's so crazy, actually, that we even have to do a video like this, that we even have to debunk this, that some people, that so many doctrines have been built over the years to make our Father look like something other than unconditional love. Um, but, yeah, I, so I believe uh, salvation is a done deal, um, which is the objective truth. Objective means what is absolutely true, regardless of if anyone believes in it. Now, you need to believe subjectively in order to experience that truth. I like to compare it to like we've all been given a billion dollars, but if you don't know that you have the billion dollars, it doesn't benefit you as much. I mean, you won't experience the full benefits of that, but uh, it's already true, yet you do need to believe in order to experience it. I do believe that some people will even uh, experience hell. Some people will go to hell. I do believe in that but only because they insist on clinging to a lie. And yet someday, I believe that everyone will wake up, uh, i.e. what some would call salvation after death, or uh, what is really just waking up to the salvation that you've already been given after death. So I know not everyone, you know, I will, I will upset people on all different sides through this video. You know, all the grace guys, even all the inclusion guys believe something slightly different. Um, but we're all like coming to a greater and greater realization of unconditional love, that God truly is love, that in him there is no darkness at all, and that Jesus saved everybody. Now, <clears throat> we all might say it in different ways. We have different views of hell, things like that. But I don't, I don't think any of the inclusion guys or the gospel guys believe in a conscious eternal torment anymore. Thank you, Lord, that we're free from that. Um, I believe... Uh, in universal reconciliation or that everyone will wake up. I believe that everyone is saved and that everyone's going to wake up to that. Why? Because God is good. God is too good, guys, to uh, allow any of his creation to uh, to suffer uh, forever and ever. I think he's allowed an element of suffering and that he allows even the hell that I mentioned um, as a remedial or as um, a restorative sort of punishment. Um, I do not believe in retributive uh, punishment. And again, I think if you study the scriptures I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 5, 18, 1 Timothy 4, 10, Romans 11, 25 to 32, Acts 3, 21, and all of the... Um, Salvation is once and for all scriptures. Just you can Google that phrase, or if you have a Bible search program, just search the phrase once and for all and look at how that salvation was once and for all. And also do a search on all in all, and it'll lead you to understand a lot of this stuff. Now, I'm not one that thinks that hell is no, nowhere in the Bible. I do think there's a lot of mistranslations of the four different words, you know, for hell in the Greek, and uh, but. Um, that's a whole nother topic, although it's kind of related to this, but where I've ended up is I believe that there is some sort of hell and there's even a hell that people can go to after death, just like they're experiencing, you know, hells on earth and this life, but that ultimately guys, uh, God is too good to allow us to destroy ourselves forever. God is too good to get into eternal torment. God is too good to, um, do anything other than restorative uh, justice. Rest, I mean, restorative, even if there's some punishment that God inflicts, it's uh, nothing more than a slapping away of the hand of the child that was going onto the burner 
you know, it's, it's always um, with love and restoration in mind. There's not a angry, mean, bad bone in the body of Christ. <laughs> it's all good. So let's get into some of these tough scriptures. Um, when you start declaring that everyone is included in Christ, everyone is saved, um, everyone is in, um, that everyone is going to heaven, um, or that everyone's already in heaven, if you dare to believe that, um, people will bring up all kinds of scriptures to try to, uh, you know, just that's probably what they were taught. You know, maybe they, they're just wrestling with the scriptures themselves. The first one you often hear is Matthew 7, 13 to 15. And I just want to look at that tonight. If you get out your Bible, it's the wide and the narrow gate. They'll often bring this up. And it's so sad that this is so ingrained rather than, you know, God is love, rather than, you know, Christ is all in all, rather than salvation is once and for all, that more people think that the way is super, well, they think that most people are going to hell. Um, and they'll bring up this Matthew 7, 13 to 15. We will talk about the wheat and the tares. I see that comment. We'll get to that one in a minute. Um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, Matthew 7, 13 to 15 is the first one they usually go to because most people genuine or most Christians, unfortunately, honestly believe. And if you ask them a percentage, they, they won't ever lock in on it. But most people seem to believe 90 to 99% of the people on the planet are going to be burning in hell forever. That is not good news. That is not much of a gospel. That's not much of a victorious savior. If he couldn't even get 10%, you know, um, but they use this verse and it says, uh, and this is Jesus talking, and we want to get this in the context of his life, death, and resurrection. But he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the, uh, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So basically, um, Jesus is saying, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Now, um, I think there's some different ways of interpreting this, but a lot of times people will hear what they've already been taught in that passage. Nowhere here does it talk about an eternal hell. Um, nowhere here. Uh, I mean, it's again, you just you have to look at it and just take it in context. Now, Jesus actually said these words. I'm not going to deny that and I'm not going to try to really explain it away. But I want you to understand this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's a lot of different perspectives on the Sermon on the Mount. I land in the perspective that says the Sermon on the Mount is the law on steroids. Now, listen, there's a lot of Old Testament passages that say you have to do this or you will die. You have to abide by these rules or you will be punished. There's a lot of that. But what does Galatians 3 say? What is the gospel uh, say that the law was a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is to, Jesus was saying, oh, you thought that, you know, you just didn't have to have uh, sex outside of marriage or that you weren't supposed to be sleeping around. I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully um, or you're, you know, in danger of the fire of hell or whatever, you know. So, uh, you know, you have to see this Sermon on the Mount as a law on steroids. So when he's saying, uh, Many are leading to destruction. Jesus, the point of the law was to get us to a point where we're like, dear God, Jesus, we need you. We need help. We can't do this. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't, 
you know, even the guy that came and said, Jesus, I've obeyed all the commandments, you know, and he says, hmm, okay, I'm going to find one that I think you're going to struggle with. And he says, now you got to go and sell everything and come and follow me. And the guy's like, oh, snap. Well, was Jesus trying to be exclusive? Was Jesus trying to um, lead people, you know, to discouragement or, you know, to say this is only for the super dedicated? No, we know that's not the heart of our father. That's not the heart of love. God is love. So what is the other interpretation? Well, I think there's two ways we need to see this Matthew 7, 13 to 15. We need to see it. One, it's the law on steroids. It's meant so that we cry out to God and say, I need help because I can't, uh, you know, I've been trying to live my life by my own efforts, my own independent self-existence, and I need help. These verses were meant to push you into that direction that you cry out and then you receive the gospel of Christ. The second way to interpret this is wide is the gate that leads to destruction in the sense that there are so many different alternatives out there in this world that seem to lead to life. So many different things. Someone even in the comments said, uh, I think the wide gate is religion and the narrow gate is Christ. Yeah, there's so many other alternatives out there, but there's only one that leads to life and that's Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, that's another scripture that people will use um, where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that's absolutely true. Now, what they, what people fail to understand when they quote that passage so many times is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's included everyone in himself. And so... Now this narrow gate all of a sudden uh, absorbed all of humanity. But if you are sitting there in your own independent self-existence, trying to find all these ways to life, you'll never find them. Uh, it, it took God becoming a man to reveal himself and being the way, the truth, and the life. And so, um, again, you can take that one passage, Matthew 7, 13 to 15, and build your whole theology around it. Or you can read it in the context of all of Scripture and where Christ was leading to, you know, like we mentioned before, to Acts 3.21, the restoration of all things, to 1 Timothy 4.10, where he says the salvation of all peoples, especially those who believe. So, again, sometimes you, you can find a verse that could send you down this discouraging rabbit trail thinking that God is not unconditional love. But you've got to remember the greater context, the greater context of Christ. And so there are other ways of interpreting these passages that are not scripture twisting. That's what people say. Like They're like, oh, beware. These grace guys are out there scripture twisting. That's the only way to get this message across. No, listen, like uh, as we've described in past videos, the Bible is not uh, just some simple, easy book. As much as some people say, I just believe the Bible. It's, there's nobody that just believes the Bible. We all believe our interpretation of the Bible, which is 66 books written over thousands of years in different languages from different perspectives. Yes, it is God-breathed, um, but it takes uh, context and reading it um, with the lens of Jesus Christ in order to, to come to the revelation of that. So anyway, that's Matthew 7, 13 to 15 doesn't discourage me. I see it as uh, in the context of the law on steroids, which is meant to have us call out to Christ. And it's also saying that there's so many different alternatives out there that lead to death, but only one that lead to life. And that is Jesus. And few find that life, but that life has found all.
shaka-laka-laka, hallelujah. Uh, have another drink, people, if you're watching this. I know we're this is a theological video. We're talking about scriptures and stuff. But we're this drunk because we read our Bibles, people. Uh, or like our friend who just said, I'm going to have to come back later. I, I understand if uh, sometimes you know you don't have time to wa watch all this at once, or sometimes you only want to chew on one verse at a time. Um, we're going to go into a few other verses. But keep drinking and, and listening to Holy Spirit as God speaks through these passages. Okay, another one people say is what about Romans 10 verses 9 to 10, which says only if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are saved. I'm just going to turn to that. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 10, 9 to 10. Uh, hallelujah, I'm feeling it. I love the unconditional love of God, people. So thankful. Uh, Romans 10, 9 to 10. Uh, we're getting there. Uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Okay, so the, what people bring out that this verse is they say, if everyone's included and everyone's saved, this says only those that believe and confess are saved. So what do you do about that? Well, this is where, and I have other videos on this on my YouTube channel and stuff, but uh, the objective salvation and the subjective salvation have to be understood. This passage has to be talking about subjective salvation, meaning when we experience salvation. Why do I say that? Because there are other passages throughout the Bible that make it clear that uh, just as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Or by one act uh, of uh, disobedience, um, the sin it spread to the many, so by the one act of righteousness, uh, justification and life spread to the many. And so there's different scriptures that seem to contradict here. And this is probably why we have so much argument in the body of Christ, because some people read, they love to read Romans 10, 9, and 10, and that's all they can hang on to. There's others that read Romans 5, 18, or 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and that's all they can hang on to, and they seem to contradict each other. But when you understand that the first one is talking about objective salvation, meaning what was done once and for all in Christ, the in Christ reality, which is the greater truth, it's objective, it's true, whether you feel it or not. Romans 5, 8, uh, or I mean, Romans 10, 9, and 10 is talking about your subjective experience, how you're not going to experience salvation unless you believe it, right? That's what it says here. Uh, unless you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I mean, that's what you have to do in order to be saved. Well, just like I said earlier, if you have a billion dollars in your bank account, but you don't believe you have a billion dollars, you're never going to spend it. You're never going to experience it. You're never going to walk in the, the, you know, all the opportunities that it opens up for you because you don't believe it yet. It could still be true. That's what we're saying here. Everyone's included in God's love. Everyone is loved unconditionally. Now, some people are not experiencing that and they're not experiencing all the blessings of God uh, because they're not aware of that. That's why we preach the gospel. And so Romans 10, 9 to 10, and all of the ones that say, you must, you know, you must do this in order to be saved. You must believe in order to be saved. That is true. You must believe in order to subjectively be saved. 
Um, but the object of salvation, which is what gives it substance, happened 2,000 years ago in Christ, whether you believe it or not. And that's how these two seemingly contradictory passages line up. Don't cancel, cancel one another out. Um, but they also, you know, don't preach a, a conditional love of God where God only loves and blesses uh, those that believe in him. That's, I mean, if you really take that to its conclusion, it, it paints God out to be a really shallow and even destructive, demented personality. And so you need to come to a congruence between these passages, understanding objective salvation, which is where the substance of it is, and subjective, which is where you experience it when you believe and confess. Hallelujah. Um, so let's see. <clears throat> Some other tough scriptures regarding inclusion is where is the concept of children of the devil? I want to look at some of these passages. Um, John 8, 44, or 1 John 3, 10. Um, there's actually a bunch of places throughout the Bible where it seems to talk about children of wrath, children of the devil, you're of your father, the devil, it says. Um, let's just look at John 8, 44, just to look at one, because I do. I just like cracking my Bible here. <laughs> John 8, 44, and this is Jesus talking. It says, uh, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Um, now he's talking to the, which is the Pharisees or is the, the teachers of the law or somebody there. But um, now Jesus would call people children of the devil. Well, I thought you were saying, I thought you were saying, Matt, that all are included, that all are children of God. Well, uh, this is another one where really it's objective versus subjective, like we just talked about, and they don't have to nullify one another. Now, let me give you another thing to think about, though. If you're getting stuck on this passage, remember what it says in Ephesians 2, verses, 2 verse 3. If the, uh, the whole concept of children of the devil, because there, honestly, there are, there are denominations out there that believe that some people were created, predestined, um, to be in hell forever. They were, they'll never love God. They never could love God. Now the whole, uh, you know, there's so many ways of approaching that. Obviously, uh, one of the favorite ways to approach it is to say, I mean, Satan did not create anything that, uh, the devil is not creative, does not have creative power. He's called the father of lies because he only deceives. He can only twist. He can't create. So how did the, how did Satan have children? And who did, you know, I mean, who did Satan sleep with in order to produce children of the devil? And then there's that a small group that would go on the whole serpent seed doctrine, which is hilarious in itself. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, but Ephesians 2 verse 3 says that, uh, uh, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath. Now, in Ephesians 2, it says we all were once children of wrath. Or another way you could translate that or look at that is we were all once children of the devil. We were all once sons of darkness, sons of disobedience, some translations say. Now, that makes it sound like these were things that uh, were not, uh, they change, they're changeable. Now, I think the, the point of this and the point of bringing that up is to say, um, you know, obviously the, the devil never created anything. Satan never, you know, he didn't have babies. Satan is not a creative being, um, but, uh, we had an identity crisis. 
that's that's the route that I would go on. We were all once children of wrath. Does that mean that wrath gave birth to us, that we were born from the very beginning? Wrath? No, we identified as sons of this. We identified as, you know, uh, and people are out there identifying themselves as children of the devil in various ways, whether just by their behavior or by thinking so, you know, that they're dark and they're thinking that they're worms, thinking that they're demented, thinking such such low thoughts of themselves when our father has created us from the beginning, you know, uh, I mean, God is the only creator, creator God. Abba is the father in, in so many different passages, you know, it says he's the father of every family. He's the father of all one God and father of all the father of, of, of all nations, man. Um, anyway, so if these, if these passages regarding children of the devil, sons of, of, children of wrath cause you to stumble you just need to step back and ask yourself like um what are these other possible like interpretations does that mean that they're damned forever does that mean that they're uh you know that they were born from darkness none of those passages say that they refer to them as children of the devil or of their father the devil but i believe that's because they were subjectively having an identity crisis when the objective truth is that they were uh, originated in god right and that christ comes to be the light of the light of the world that shines light again unto our true identity so all right let's move on to some other ones um someone mentioned the wheat and the tares earlier that's matthew 13:24 to 30 um another uh saying of Jesus was the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25. Now, these are some of the more uh, challenging passages for a lot of people, some of the more complicated passages. But again, now, instead of just trying to reinterpret every word there, um, and I, I don't know if I, just for the sake of time, do I have time to read Matthew 25 and Matthew 13, 24 to 30, although we uh, we absolutely could. Uh, I think it's important to go back and look at these in the context. For me, um, I actually do believe that there is a day when Christ returns, when, you know, even as the Nicene Creed says that he's, uh, you know, there is a, a, a coming day when Christ will judge, you know. Um, and I believe that some will go to hell. Now, for me, though, uh, I don't see any place where this indicates that, that hell is uh, going on eternally or that hell is, um, well, hell may be everlasting, but not that people have to stay there. And that's one of the, let's just look at Matthew 25, because that actually does, you know, get into the words everlasting or age during. Um, you can do a study on that. And I know some people have uh, come to say like Young's literal translation of Matthew 25, it says that it's only age during punishment. And uh, I could see that. I could see that it's age during or I could see that, uh, like where it says that um, Jesus went to preach to those spirits that were in prison, um, or that in Ephesians where it says he led captives in his train, where it sounds like he's leading them up out of hell. Uh, Matthew 25, you know, it's the sheep and the goats uh, passage. At the end, it says, he, he will answer, he said, Truly, as I say, you did not do it to the least of these, therefore you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I believe that people will, uh, there will be a, a period of where people, some people do end up because they're clinging to darkness, 
so firmly and they're so implanted in that lie that they will end up in a time of hell. That doesn't mean they're not included in Christ right now, and it doesn't mean that they can't wake up to uh, who he is even after death. And so to me, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats doesn't present that much of a stumbling block to the unconditional love of God. I see uh, any punishment that would happen as just a wake-up call, as just um, restorative punishment, as remedial punishment. And so that's where I've landed with those. There's other interpretations. But again, you know, if those passages are causing you to stumble, I encourage you to really do uh, an in-depth study of Matthew 25 and Matthew 13, 24 to 30, and ask yourself how, I mean, I start from a place that I believe that God loves everyone, that God is unconditional love. And how does unconditional love torment people forever? It can't. So there has to be another interpretation. For me, where I've landed with those is that um, the interpretation is that it, they do go away to a punishment, but it's a remedial punishment and that eventually they're going to wake up from that punishment. That's where I go with those scriptures. Hallelujah. And in fact, that kind of applies to the other tough scriptures. I was going to look into John 3.36. I might look at that. I'm not sure. Let me, let me gather my thoughts here. But Mark 9.43 to 48, where it talks about the worm dieth not. Again, I'll just I'll just touch on that one just real quick, like um, where it says in Mark nine. Oh, let's just look there. The, the worm dieth not. Mark nine forty three to forty eight. Hallelujah! Have another drink of the love and glory that's in your face right now. That is in your belly right now. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just hate if Bible study ever becomes dry, man. Encounter Jesus in this moment. Holy <laughs> Bible study is so life-giving, even when we're looking at the tough scriptures, people. Okay. But yeah, we're at a mark. 930, 943. Okay. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. It says unquenchable fire there. Okay, that can cause some people to stumble. Uh, it says, better to your end for your life lame than two feet to be thrown into hell. It's better if your eye causes you to sin to tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's funny, there there are a couple of verses in this that aren't in some translations. It makes you wonder. Uh, uh, sometimes things were added in. Um, anyway, not very often, but there are a few points where there's verses that are contested. Uh, this is one section where that happens. But anyway, uh, verse 49 says everyone will be salted with fire. So that's an interesting concept to, to keep in mind as well there. But when I look at this, I just, again, I just don't see a, uh, it, it says um, the unquenchable fire. It doesn't say that you have, they have to remain in that unquenchable fire forever. Um, it also says they'll be thrown into hell. Um, and it says the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, it's talking about some everlasting punishment, but... Uh, just because the punishment is everlasting doesn't mean people are going to be in it forever. So again, I'm, I'm bringing up some of the most uh, quote-unquote challenging scriptures to inclusion to uh, Christian universalism, to an evangelical universalism. These passages are supposed to be so challenging, but a lot of them, you know, none of them say what these big doctrines that uh, people have built off of them think they say. 
you know, again, it says the word unquenchable fire. Now you, it's up to you if you think people have to end up in that forever. Um, I think there's a good case uh, for people getting out, you know, to even after judgment, um, waking up to Christ, you know, uh, the passage that says every knee will bow and every tongue confess, depending on your perspective, you could look at that and say they're being forced to bow and they're being forced to confess. So they're not really saved. They're just saying it. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell you, it just says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That could mean that every person will acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and therefore experience the inclusion that they already have in him. They uh, experience that unconditional love. So just because some may be thrown into hell, I believe that hell is remedial. Um, I believe that it's just a wake-up call and that uh, it helps people to stop clinging to those lies and and uh, come into the inclusion that they already have. Um, let's see. I've covered a lot of random ones. Um, if you, if you have any in the comments, you can throw in, what are some tough scriptures that seem to contradict inclusion? Uh, I'm coming to a close here, though. I'm, I'm going to read Acts 2.40, or I'll at least mention Acts 2.40, Peter's preaching. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, that one almost makes you think, you hear the term save yourself, and you can think, wow, some people aren't saved. Uh, therefore, you have to save yourself. Well, uh, again, oh, someone said, what do you think about people who've seen a vision of hell and torment? Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll just go. I'll, I'll jump to your question there, Sue. Um, I think this is very valid because I've heard a lot of people talk about it. One, like I said, I actually believe there is a hell, but I just don't believe that it's uh, the people that have to remain there forever. I think that everyone's going to wake up out of their hells and realize that they're in heaven in Christ everyone, whether they do it in this life or the next or the age to come. So that's one way to approach it. Second way to approach it is uh, just because people had a vision or an experience doesn't make it true. You know, the old phrase people say uh, someone uh, with someone with an experience is never at the mercy of someone with an argument. I would say neither arguments nor experiences make what you believe true. Um, there's tons of people that have, you know, a lot of people have dreams of hell. Well, I had dreams where I was flying around in a piece of pizza with a spacesuit on, you know. <laughs> but also, in an even more practical sense, you know, uh, there's people in psychoses all the time. There's also, I've, I've met prophets all around the world, even the most accurate prophets that I've met that I know are walking in Holy Spirit get it wrong sometimes because their lens gets involved in their interpretation. Their preconceived ideas still play into what they think they saw or what the word that they got from the Lord. And so they kind of get blurry. So just because someone had an experience doesn't mean I trust it. There's a lot of people with NDEs, near-death experiences, and they experience all sorts of different things. Now, I think there are some things we can learn from listening to those experiences, but ultimately... Um, we need to take it all in context and ultimately like submit it to scripture, submit it to um, the revelation of Jesus Christ and unconditional love um, before we just believe someone who had a vision um, or whatever, you know. So I know there's, yeah, the 23 minutes in hell. Yeah, you're bringing that up. Oh, yeah. What was his name? I'm trying to remember. I, I listened to it years ago. It, it doesn't, you know, give me, uh, it does, it does. It's people's experiences are that their experience, you know, I've met guys that went and saw and talked to Buddha on the astral plane, you know, so it doesn't mean 
whatever you know there's tons of wild experiences you can go to a, a mental institution and meet people with crazy stuff you know <laughs> and i believe that most people walking around in daily life are at least halfway insane already so um the other funny thing with the guy the 23 minutes in hell guy he's like you know he went to hell well he got out of it too didn't he he's here testifying so uh there's at least a a thread to maybe push you toward the fact that you can go to hell and come back uh, you can get out of hell. Jesus, hallelujah, gets us out. So, okay, I'm sure there's a bunch more scriptures we could get into um, that seem to challenge, but I, I feel like I covered the generalities of where the different ones uh, lead us to. You know, the, a lot of people have, uh, they stumble over the passage that say, only if you confess, only if you believe, are you saved, or um, people struggle with uh, the concept of hell, um, people struggle with the, the Matthew seven one a lot, the, the narrow gate. And I think we touched on all of those. And so there's at least enough like revelation where if you encounter other scriptures that seem to be challenging, you can use some of the stuff from this video to help maybe interpret it. Ultimately, I'm not claiming to be a know-it-all here. I just want to point you guys toward uh, a theology that's loving. I, I actually think theology is important because everyone has one, whether you admit it or not, what we believe about the world. And ultimately, uh, it's this has given me so much peace knowing that God is just that good, that God is actually unconditional love. I, you know, so much rest came to my heart when I believe that Jesus is the savior of all and that I'm not out there having to save all these people from an angry God. I'm not out there having to save all these people. Um, like if I don't get them all to pray the prayer of salvation, that they're going to die. And, and, you know, I mean, if you're really a loving Christian and you believe that way, you'd really never be able to sleep. You'd never be able to rest uh, because you always should be out there doing more if you really love these people. And so I think there's so much good fruit that comes from a right understanding of uh, inclusion, um, of the fact that in Christ, all creation, all the cosmos, including every person ever is saved, healed, set free and restored that's the objective truth and that, yes, they do need to believe it. Let's encourage people to believe this truth um, and they need to believe it, but only in order to experience it, not in order to be included, not in order to be loved. They're already loved. They're already included. Um, Jesus did something for them once and for all. Abba has always loved them and included them in the family. Um, and yes, I do believe some people will experience hell, but only because they insist on clinging to a lie and, uh, and that Abba is using that as a, as a wake-up call, remedial, restorative punishment. And someday all will wake up. Oh, the Lazarus and the, and the beggar story. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't cover that. Um, uh, I really appreciate the interaction here. Uh, Sue, thank you so much. The Lazarus and the beggar story. Again, um, that one doesn't uh, necessitate that the rich man is stuck there forever. Uh, it doesn't say that this rich man can never, ever... Uh, get out. Um, again, I think that one's even a parable. Uh, but regardless if it's not a parable, I can't remember that offhand. But uh, again, I, I do actually believe in a hell. And so the Lazarus and the beggar story, uh, uh, or the rich man and Lazarus, I think you're talking about, um, is uh, doesn't cause any theological problems for me. Uh, anyways, yeah, God is good, guys. Love you all so much. Thanks for tuning in. This one went a little longer than I thought. It's just so much ground to cover. So much good news to revel in. 
the Bible is not contradictory book. The, the Bible does not paint God as uh, a, a, a mean, angry, punishing judge, but a loving, restoring, healing, uh, awesome God. Awesome, intimate father, lover, friend, Holy Spirit. So thanks, guys, for checking this out. Hope it's a blessing. Share it if you, you can. And if this stuff is blessing you and you believe in this ministry, we do this kind of thing full time all around the world, along with all kinds of other ministry stuff. So maybe consider going to thefirehouseprojects.com and finding our donate section or becoming a monthly partner that we can continue to do this. Uh, I believe this message is powerful. The stuff that we're preaching is powerful. So partner with us if you can. If not, you're still amazing, blessed, and loved. Like I said, we're all included. I believe that's the communication of the Bible. All right, love you guys. Um, and we will be back in a, a while with Tough Scripture 6. Might take me a week or two to, to hammer that out. Um, we got all kinds of resources coming out. Again, love you guys. And thanks for tuning in. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Firehouse Chronicles with Matt and Katie Spinks. Check out all of the events and other grace and glory resources we've been inspired to host at thefirehouseprojects.com. There's so much brewing right now. Also, Matt and Katie do ministry full-time with the support of partners like you. So if you're blessed by our ministry, would you consider becoming a monthly partner or making a one-time donation at thefirehouseprojects.com slash donate. The more partnership we have, the more resources and nations we get to reach with this glorious good news. So thank you so much. Cheers, deep drinks, and until next time.